Welcome to the Scuffed Podcast. I'm Adam Bells in Minneapolis. With me is Greg Velasquez in Des Moines. We talk about U.S. men's soccer. Hey, everyone. Let's start with Monday's big news from the Kremlin in Chicago. Ernie Stewart, who up until this week was the general manager of the U.S. men's national team, has been promoted to sporting director for all of U.S. soccer, overseeing both the women's and men's national teams, the youth national teams, and the scouting and high-performance departments. Kate Markgraf, it was announced, will be general manager of the entire women's program, including the women's youth national teams. And Stewart will have to be replaced by a new men's general manager who will answer to Stewart, as will Mark Graf. That's a huge mouthful. Greg, how you doing? Bells, I'm good. Bells, did you take Western Civ in high school? Uh, not in high school I, that I remember, I, but I did take a lot of Western Civ type classes in college. And yes, I recognize the Kremlin is nothing like Soccer House, except for in, in, a, in one respect. Do you see any similarities? Not not architecturally, for sure. Just the, the general intrigue and potentially a number of backstabbings. Yeah, I think I think the reason the Kremlin comes to mind is the idea of like having to think through what people are saying that they're not saying and read between the lines and, you know, discern answers to questions that were not answered, I guess. All right. All right. Well, yes, I'm, I'm doing great. The shakeup in Chicago is something that is going to be uh, really interesting to kind of monitor over the next month leading up to, I think, the next so- big soccer house board meeting right after the Mexico friendly in September. Uh, more importantly, or as importantly, or more immediately, uh, European season sort of fully off and running. Yeah, we will get to the, worry not. This will not be a full politics episode. We will get into <laughs> we'll get into some actual <laughs> gameplay and roster stuff, which is obviously more interesting. But um. Let's start with, there was a conference call yesterday, yesterday afternoon with Carlos Cordero, the president of U.S. Soccer, and Stuart and Mark Graff on the line. Let's just start with what Cordero said in his opening statement. One of the many changes that, that we've been bringing into U.S. Soccer over the past year and a half uh, since I became president is really making sure that soccer operations are run by soccer experts. And that is really what today is all about. And so we're really thrilled to announce uh, major changes to our sporting performance department, uh, which Neil just referenced. Uh, first, um, we're announcing today, of course, that uh, after serving as our men's national team general manager now for a little bit more than a year, uh, Ernie joined us last August, he will be moving into a new position, and that of sporting director for U.S. soccer. Uh, let me just say that Ernie has been doing a fantastic job as GM on the men's side, he led the search that led to Greg Berhalter some months ago, uh, being named as head coach of the men's team. And as Ernie grew into that role, uh, it became more and more evident to all of us that our national programs, women's and men's, would truly benefit from having a single sporting director, someone to bring even greater coordination across really all performance areas. So there you have it. Cordero also touted the streamlining that this will bring to Soccer House. He explained that Stewart will oversee the scouting and high performance departments, as I mentioned earlier. He used the word synergies, if you must, Carlos, if you must. <laughs> and and then he introduced Stewart. And then Stewart introduced Mark Graff, the ESPN analyst, former women's national team player and winner of a World Cup and two Olympic gold medals. 
So here's what she said. Uh, this new position is exciting for the development, evolution, and U.S. women's soccer, from the full U.S. WNT through all the way through the youth teams. All of my life experiences, both on and off the field, have led me to this opportunity, and I cannot wait to get started. I'm excited to work on our next challenge on the women's side, which is to qualify for the 2020 Olympics and to set our youth teams up for success next summer. As I sit alongside Ernie and advised by some of the best soccer minds in the country, I'm excited to help build a platform for continued success for many years to come. Very quick, sweet to the point. Greg, what do you make of that? Uh, I think I think it's a very good I think it's a step in the right direction for sure. Uh, she seems very qualified. I'll kind of say the same thing I said about Ernie Stewart being hired as a GM way back when, uh, it's really hard to know if a GM is going to hit, if they're going to be the right person. Uh, so I think, I think the important part here is at least is that her, I think her duties have been a little bit more clearly outlined, uh, than Ernie's were when Ernie was first hired as GM where with Ernie was just like, Oh, so we hired a guy just to hire the next senior team coach. And then what? Um, by giving Markraft sort of the full senior team to youth team sort of uh, responsibility, you get the sense that then there is that sort of ongoing uh, job that she's going to have to do. So she doesn't just hire the next women's coach and then sit around. She will hire the youth coaches and then she will coordinate between all of those staffs uh, to make sure things are aligned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which seems like a good idea and one that would one that we've sort of been lobbying for on the men's side for a while more unity or at least i have i can't remember 100 percent if you have been lobbying for i don't want to put words in your mouth (laughs) no i've done some lobbying um and and on the women's side especially uh they've kind of had the uh, a flip of the men's side where their senior team has been incredibly successful obviously consecutive world cup champions um but their youth teams have really struggled whereas on the men's side the youth teams have been much more successful than they had been historically, and their senior team has been a shambles. Yeah, it is a, sort of the mirror opposite right now. I It should also be noted that Mark Graff was asked by Grant Wall if she thinks the next women's national team coach should be a woman, and she said yes. She'd prefer that, but the best candidate will get the job. There's not going to be a female requirement, but it is her preference. I don't know. Do you have a take on that? Uh, no, I don't. There's uh, the when you look at short lists that have been kind of floated for the, the position, uh, there aren't that many women sort of in the running. It seems like it seems like it's Laura Harvey as the clear sort of front runner. Uh, if you're, if you're trying to find a, a woman to take, take charge. Um, but after that, it, uh, the pool is thin. Um, and you know, you, we could, we could do a whole show on the reasons why the pool might be that thin. Could you do uh, two minutes on why the pool is thin? <laughs> um, Let's see. Uh, institutional disadvantages, okay. systemic institutional disadvantages that women face in in, oh, in the talking, game of soccer. We're talking like sexism on a uh, capital S. Yeah, I mean, you see, you see the pictures of uh, coach licensing licensing courses in U.S. soccer, and uh, it look they look like fraternity pictures. Yeah, yeah, as do so many professional pictures in the world, but yeah, for sure. Okay. Um, as is often the case with these press conferences, the most interesting stuff came from the Q and a session. And, uh, here's, I, I, I pulled two questions and answers because I thought they were particularly relevant to this show. Um, 
One was from Mike Watala at Soccer America. He asked Stuart about the 10 youth national team coaching vacancies and why they're not filled. Based on your 2019 media guide, I'm counting about 10 head coaching vacancies at the youth national team level. So my question is, why have no, those positions not been filled, and, and when do you expect them to be filled? I'm assuming, is that to Ernie? Who's that to, Mike? Uh, Carlos, Ernie, whoever's in charge of that? Well, I'll answer that question. So I'll be in charge of that as it, uh, as it stands right now. So um, as the men's national team GM um, formally now, um, I was involved in, the, in at least the conversations that we were having. You can understand that in the last couple of weeks that that has been put on hold with what we were trying to, uh, trying to accomplish uh, on, on this side. Um, and now we will uh, go full steam ahead when it comes to actually uh, speaking one to uh, candidates and, and appointing candidates um, for the youth national team head coaching jobs. And actually that is underway as we speak uh, right now. That has been underway under Asher Mendelssohn and, uh, and Nico Romain, um, and we are hopeful that within, uh, within a couple of months that we will have those positions filled. Okay. Bears mentioning that the coaching vac- vacancies that are being referred to here are a real problem and have been for a while. The U-17 coaching job was empty for more than a year before Rafa Wiki took over, and I think if you watch the U-17s prior to Wiki's hiring, you can see that that team's play suffered. The U15s, U16s, and U18s on the boys' side, I'm talking about the boys' side right now, they've all seen a rotating cast of interim coaches for a while now. I would say I was hoping to get a sense that Ernie was familiar with the problem, sort of intimately familiar with it, and I didn't really get that from that answer. Did you? (laughs) You know, I I, I have a sort of a different take on it, and that's that uh, I think Ernie is sort of handcuffed a little bit and can't really discuss it too much because I think if he were to get too far ahead of himself, uh, an obvious question that would come up would be, is this in in the in the purview of, say, a Tab Ramos, who's uh, nominally the youth technical director uh, on staff? Um, and my feeling is that Tab is on the outs with U.S. soccer. So, uh, you know, we, we, he's still in the room, but Ernie has to sort of talk around it because he can't put he can't put himself in a position where he has to say, "Oh no, it definitely won't be Tad Ramos. He Ramos is going to be out once all this goes down." Yeah, I mean, we should be clear: we don't know that. No, no, for this sure. is this is me speculating, but uh, it it seems like it seems like the reason that we have all these vacancies is that U.S. soccer on the women's side, this has kind of been happening as well. They're letting coaches sort of just fade out, not replacing them until they can sort of get their full structure in place that they want uh, at the top. And then the people at the top will implement that structure um, with more control. So if Ramos isn't the guy, um, then you can't start hiring people because Ramos would have a say in who you're hiring or you'd have some uh, input or he might be the guy nominally who would be hiring them. Or uh, and, and if he's not who you want doing it, then you've got to wait till he's gone. Yeah. Well, we'll get to you and your always rose-colored glasses in a moment. <laughs> um, but but sort of relevant to that discussion is earlier on the call, the Athletics' Paul Tenorio, you know, one of the top U.S. men's national team reporters in the country, asked Stuart what will become of Nico Romain and Tab Ramos. So just as a refresher, Romain has been the chief sport development officer for the Fed, reporting directly to CEO Dan Flynn. Ramos isn't on this like sort of official org chart that's out there, but his title includes, quote, youth technical director. 
a job there you that, go. as you as you alluded to, he doesn't seem to be uh, allowed to do right now. Um, and then a third name worth mentioning is uh, Asher Mendelson, uh, former Columbus Crew executive. He is the quote chief soccer officer. So we have a chief sport development officer and a chief soccer officer. Both Mendelson and Romaine report directly to Flynn, the CEO of U.S. Soccer, under the current org chart. And here's a question that Tenorio asked Stewart and Stewart's answer. How, uh, if at all, does this change the does Ernie's promotion to sporting director change the roles of Tab, Stewart, uh, Tab Ramos and Nico Romain? And um, I know prior to this move, Nico Romain was reporting directly to the CEO. Does he now report to Ernie? Hello, Paul. Yes, that, that would be the case, but um, I'd, I'd go back a little bit in the sense that now that the sporting director role has come about, um, that we are actually going to look at uh, the, the sports performance organization and see what's best for the sports performance organization uh, going forward. So um, obviously we've had some conversations about that, but going forward we I will be presenting to the board uh, what that organizational structure will uh, look like and then obviously I think it speaks for itself that we'll uh, speak with individuals first before we uh, uh, discuss that with the outside world. But um, that's, uh, that's something that's in progress uh, right now, and hopefully we can give uh, some, uh, some clarity very soon. Yeah, so, so Tenorio didn't ask about Mendelssohn, but you, know, you could e- easily include him in, the que- in any question about Romaine, because what do you do with two guys who supposedly report to the CEO when you're promoting Stewart to a position where he is reporting directly to the CEO and is taking over responsibility for everything those two guys do. What is it? What did that, that, uh, answer sound like to you? Uh, going back to your Kremlin, uh, reference about reading between lines. Um, it sure sounds like some guy, like Ernie's just waiting to give some guys the ax and he can't really go into detail about, uh, what the vision is, what the structure is going to be essentially until he's had time to talk to these guys individually and say, you're not going to be a part of it. That's, that's me really reading between the lines. Um, and, and sort of adding, adding my own, uh, uh, intuition and feeling on it. But I mean, that's what it sounds like. He sounds like there's, he's talking about like victims of an accident and we can't announce anything until we've had a time to speak to their families. It does sound a little bit like that. Yeah. And it kind of makes you wonder like, why didn't you sort that out before you had a big press conference? But maybe that's that's, that's my that's one of my big questions is why do this now if you're going to have the board meeting in September? And, and again, maybe maybe I'm way off and that's why you have it now. Um, but, it, yeah, it seems like you'd want to have all of this lined up to be able to to announce it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but yeah, going back to even what uh, Carlos Cordero said, um, it's a streamlining. They're talking about streamlining and there is nothing streamlined about the organization right now when you have three different soccer guys reporting up to the CEO, that's not very streamlined. Cut all of them out and it just goes uh, one GM to Ernie to the CEO. Now we're now we're getting somewhere. Yeah, I agree with that. And it's it's not just three, it's four. The current org chart has, you know, Romaine, the, the chief sport development officer, Mendelssohn, the chief soccer officer, the general manager of the men's national team who is, you know, w- until yesterday was Stewart, and then the to-be-determined women's national team general manager, which until yesterday was nobody, you know, so that there were going to be four people directly responsible for soccer reporting directly to the CEO. And that's, you know, come on, you don't need to take a management class to see that that doesn't make any sense. So, I mean, we should get into some big picture thoughts, I guess. What do you, 
what do you take away from all this? It sounds like it sounds like you're sort of taking a positive spin from it. Well, I mean, I'm going to interpret it as charitably as I possibly can. So that the cautiously optimistic reading of it is that this is a good thing. You know, if you if you're like us and you've been angling for some kind of uh, integration from the youth teams all the way through the senior team, mm-hmm. uh, this is this is one of the steps that would have need to, needed to have been taken. Um, now, whether they have the right people doing it, whether they'll uh, execute it properly uh, once they take these steps, who knows? And with U.S. soccer, it's really hard to give them the benefit of the doubt uh, at the moment. Um, but I think this is definitely consistent with what I think would have needed to happen to 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 take that step. Yeah. Well, yeah, I I do I do I see that. So so why? Why is it taking so long? Do you have a defense for that? I think it's taking so long partly because uh, they couldn't upset the apple cart ahead of some on-field stuff. And Cordero alluded to this, and I I happen to agree with him here. You had On the men's side, you had the U-20 World Cup going on with Tab Ramos in charge. Mm -hmm. If you don't think Tab Ramos is your guy, um, that's fine. A lot of people will disagree with that and say he's earned more or whatever. But, you know, those decisions have to be made at some level uh, for, for every position. And if Tab's not your guy... I don't think it would have been wise to be like, all right, he's not our guy. Let's get rid of him now, three weeks before the U-20 World Cup. I think that would have been foolish. So even if he's not your guy, we're at the point in the cycle where he's going to finish He's going to finish that cycle out. Yeah. Uh, so you couldn't move before then. Um, and obviously the same thing with the women's senior team. You're not going to move and make all these major changes uh, a month out from the World Cup. So – you, you have to let those things play out on the field. And now what I would expect is after the September board meeting uh, where Ernie gets to sort of present his structure to the board for approval, I would expect now very rapid uh, developments. Yeah. Okay. I and if we that's... see that, if we see, yeah, if we see that, then I'm like, okay, there, there is now a plan. Uh, those, those, all those youth nas- national team coach vacancies were there because they didn't want to just fill them to fill them. And then immediately upset everything again with this new master plan. Yeah, I guess I don't have too much to add to that. I think it's a, I think it's a pretty solid sort of positive rationale, and and kind of, you know, we'll see. I guess it's predicated on quick action after September seventh, and you know, the, the only other thing I would ask besides for speed from the Fed is is that they do mirror the women's side general manager with a men's side general manager who is in charge of the youth national teams as well as the men's national team, which has not been made explicit, but is, you know, strongly implied by Mark Graff's job description. Yeah, I would, I'd be shocked if they didn't go that route. I mean, you're streamlining it. So you're going to have these symmetric, these symmetries built in. Uh, and again, it'll, it'll, a lot of it will depend on who ends up in that position and, uh, the execution within, but, um, I think the idea is you're going to try to eliminate these sort of uh, backroom politics to be like, okay, it's just this guy and this guy reports here. Whereas now, you know, when when you have uh, a, a mess like a spider web of of over, oversight, then it's nobody. Everything is nobody's job, and everything is everybody's job. And I, I feel like we could finally get some clear uh, clear roles and responsibilities laid out. And then, then, then there's somebody we can scapegoat when things go wrong. Yes, right. That's exactly. <laughs> well, and, and you need that. Quite honestly, like you have to have that because, you know, you're saying scapegoating, but it's a it's an accountability thing. Sure. So the other yeah, thing, yeah. the other thing that I think we have to have is uh, is transparency. All right. So Ernie's gonna 
have his vision. U.S. soccer is going to have their vision. Like it needs to be laid out clearly. There's no reason to withhold this kind of stuff from the public at large. Uh, you should want to tell everyone about it. You should want to be as clear as possible about what Kate Markgraf is doing day to day. What what does Ernie Stewart do day to day? What does a new men's GM do uh, on Tuesdays at at 2 p.m.? Like what's he doing? What's he doing to help the program? What are we doing to get the program to be, as Ernie said, the number one men's program in the world? That's his goal. Yeah. Well, you know, if he tells too much, then the Germans and the French and the Brazilians will steal <laughs> our secrets and surpass us. <laughs> yeah, no, I... We should, we, yeah, go ahead. Uh, we've discussed the transparency issue uh, offline, and I think you're I think you're kind of a hopeful young man about the <laughs> level of transparency that could occur. I, but I, I think in general, I, I, how can you disagree? I think the, the more they tell us what they're doing, the better... I did get the sense, and Grant Wall alluded to this in his piece for Sports Illustrated, that uh, Mark Mark Graff was easily the most fluent and uh, loquacious of the three in her uh, in her comments. I don't know if that came through in the clips that I selected, but Stewart and Cordero may be very very intelligent, but they're not um, they're not great communicators. At least Mark Graff is, and maybe they'll they'll hire a general manager on the men's side who who mirrors that. Let's hope so, because they are very much ambassadors, you know, for for the entire to the entire country. Like they are the they are the, you know, the mouthpiece and the uh, essentially the head of communications for an entire country soccer. Yeah, I'd say I, w- I will say Berhalter is actually I think Berhalter is a pretty good communicator when he talks, you know, he's, uh, yeah, he's not too bad. Get, get him on the show, Bells. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I'll get right on it. Um, OK, anything else on this? No, I don't think so. I mean, we're we're now, I think, and again, back in a little bit of a holding pattern until September. Uh, but if if we're right and we have and we have any reason to be hopeful, uh, we should start seeing some major changes even even by the end of the year. Okay, sounds good. Before we we move on to the second section, I just want to thank everyone for the ratings and reviews. I think we got about forty new ones on Apple Podcasts after asking for them last week. Many thanks. Please consider writing one or rating the podcast if you haven't done so. It helps more people find us. We'll be back in a moment to recap a weekend of heavy action in Europe and in the U.S. We're back. Let's talk about the headliners, those who played over the weekend who were not involved in the Gold Cup and need to be called up for the friendlies in September. Give me your first name, Greg. It's not going to be who you expect, Bells. My first name, in that, given that description, is Tim Weah. Okay. Tell me more. <laughs> uh, I mean, he's, he started. He got his, They're in the league. It's not, none of this DFB Pokal nonsense, no Super Cup nonsense. Like They're in league play, and he started. I don't know if he's going to uh, be a locked-on starter for them, but uh, it's a big vote of confidence that he got the first start in the first game. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I'm kind of looking up. All right, 
So Sergino Dest is not starting in Champions League today. Did nope. You, you he's, he's on the bench. I'd seen Daniel had given us the update. Okay. Yeah, I mean, so on way, I, he, it's true he did start. Uh, he played, I thought he had one moment of real quality in that game. It was not a, it was not a game that was super easy on the eyes. Would you agree? Yeah, no, it wasn't, and Wea wasn't anything particularly special in the game. Except for that one moment. I mean, he, he picked up the ball in midfield, dribbled down the right channel, and then played a delightful ball in behind for, uh, was it for Bamba? I can't remember. I'm, I'm not sure. I was on BN where it wasn't the best of high definition, so uh, it, was, it was like watching in the early 2000s. But it was a great ball. Uh, found the second runner, which shows some uh, some real, again, some real intelligence as well as uh, displayed basically every time he stepped on the field. Uh, and, and again, for me, more importantly is, is just the playing time. When you're, when you're talking like champions league level teams, the playing time for me right now is what matters the most. You don't have to be dropping, uh, nonstop highlights. Yeah. Well, yeah. So that are we, are we going back to like basically our original podcast? The first one we ever did where we were talking about, <laughs> were we talking about Wes McKenney and Jonathan Gonzalez being vetted by their clubs in a way that Bruce Arena could never hope to do and, uh, and should have been called up for that reason. Essentially. Yes. And it's going to apply to, to another guy that I think you're going to put on this list. Uh, yeah, well, I, I can't tell what you're thinking at the moment, but I, um... <laughs> I'm being intentionally cryptic. Okay. So yeah, so Way is number one on the list for you. Uh, number one on the list for me is Serginio Dest. He's now started and gone ninety in the Super Cup, which I know is a glorified exhibition game, but it, it's a trophy, and it you know there's something there's something to it. Uh, he made his Eredivisie debut last week, and um, he's on the bench for a Champions League match today, a Champions League qualifier for Ajax. You were ready to call him up right after the U twenty World Cup for the Gold Cup. I was I would not have hated that. Um, but I really think now it's time for Berhalter to turn on the charm, bring him in, play him in September, and set the table for a cap-tying appearance in CONCACAF Nations League in October. Well, here we go. This is where I dissent. Uh, really? I am I am very high on Serginho Dest. Uh, I did want him called up uh, for the Gold Cup. I think he would have improved our roster there, and it would have had the added bonus uh, of cap-tying him for us for life. Um, September friendlies do not do that. And I feel like at this point, since he's already, uh, in the rotation with Ajax, we should let him ride that out for as long as possible. So I think we should actually leave him with his club, uh, through September in Ajax's glut of fixtures, um, with these champions league qualifiers and their league games. I think we should leave him there and play through September and call him up in October. I think we should definitely reach out and explain that to him. Mm, uh, crucial point. But I think I think we should let him stay with Ajax rather than come play in um, very much worthless friendlies. I don't want to say worthless, but very much uh, inconsequential as far as results go. Yeah, not nearly as important for him as a young soccer player as getting time with Ajax. That's true. I I guess that's fine as long it's fine not to call him up in September as long as there is a very serious conversation uh, with with Dest from Burhalter. Or, uh, playing in, yeah, and and kind of playing into that is DeAndre Yedlin being injured. So uh, I don't know. If, I mean, maybe maybe that makes it even harder to leave Dest out in September. Uh, but I, I mean, that's just sort of what I'm thinking is is his priority right now. I think uh, it makes more sense to just stay at Ajax and and ride this uh, early season um, opportunity of playing time out. 
Okay. All right. Uh, the third of these four is uh, that I have listed here. You may have others. Is Josh Sargent. I'd say he had an even quieter performance than Wea in the DFB Pokal, a blowout win over Atlas Delmenhorst, which I think is a local Bremen club. It was a win against a very low block opponent, and um, Sargent did start, but he I mean, he had almost no significant involvement in the game. Would, wouldn't you say that's true? Yeah, that's that's what I'd say too, and it was is the same as last year. He, he wasn't playing as the nine. He's playing as like a, a, an inside winger on the right side uh in in Verda's sort of system um which i don't think suits him particularly well uh it might help him round out his game but it doesn't put him in the best position to sort of show off everything he already has yeah that's true and you know i mean if you want to if you want to quibble i think and i do because i have a podcast (laughs) that we talk about soccer uh the quibble would be his his movement just didn't look like it was very inventive or full of conviction. Um, and even as a even as an inverted, an inside winger, he still has opportunities to move off the ball and create space for his teammates or or you know find pockets of space for himself. I didn't feel like he was doing that. The the big caveat doing that very well, I guess. The big caveat, of course, is that uh, the Delman Horse was they had ten guys behind the ball the whole game almost, even when they were down three zero. So. So I don't know. I don't know. Just a just a note of caution on Sargent. Even though I want him, I want him in the in the roster for you know every camp where it makes sense for him to be. Are you gonna get? Are you gonna give him the same treatment as Dest here, where he like he needs to stay with Werder Bremen in September? You know, I'd actually be fine with that too for Sargent. Even though I'm, you know, I've been one of the uh, louder, uh, angrier Sargent proponents. Uh, again, totally fine here. I think it makes sense to to give him more more time at uh Werder because uh his competition for for one of those spots came on in that game and, and looked pretty good uh Nicholas Fulkrug their new si- new signing new signing mm, yeah i think he's a signing from Han- Hanover actually yeah new signing and sort of coming coming off of a, a, an injury so Sargent is going to have to have to fend that off or or overtake Fulkrug if Fulkrug is already ahead of him um so we'll get we'll get more in on that sort of this weekend when we see lineups but uh, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hate, again, these September friendlies, uh, are, are very inconsequential. Like we, we, in my mind, we already dropped the ball with Sergeant and Des because we left them home for the four week camp we could have had in, in, in June for the gold cup, uh, the actual meaningful games. We didn't bring them on. Uh, I, I'm less concerned with pulling them from their clubs for these, uh, friendlies in September. Yeah. I'm going to disagree with you there. I mean, I, I do acknowledge that these are less consequential they're not that consequential in the grand scheme of things but we're still we're we got to remember some we talk about in this podcast we're 12 months away from world cup qualifying starting we need as much time in camp for these guys as they can get especially for players who ha- have had almost no time under under Berhalter. Sargent has had a little bit in camp Des has had none no time with Berhalter. world cup qualifying starts in 12 months you're wrong greg Prove that you're not. <laughs> Man, you're not going to see me complaining if Sergeant or Dest are on the September call-up roster. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, like, you, you, you said you were um, one of the loudest uh, proponents of Sergeant being with the national team. I was going to say you're like, you were like Elizabeth Warren and the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. <laughs> I've got a documented history. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, the fourth the fourth name here is uh, domestic based player, Paxson Pomacall, uh had a good game over the weekend. It's worth noting, big win for Dallas against Minnesota United. He had Pomacall had two MLS assists. That's a hockey assist. That's a pass before the assist, uh, and then he had a, a one conventional assist. I'm not sure what his XG chain is because my guy who gets me those has been kind of busy lately, but it had to be very high, very high. So, Dummy, can you please get me those? Uh, yeah, numbers? man. You reach out, you, nothing but crickets from Dummy. You got, he's got to get back to us. <laughs> yeah, let us let us hear something. All right, yes, Pomacall, no brainer, right? Uh, he's he's been the all everything midfielder for Dallas, and he. Uh, he's looked good in any in any statistical breakdown you give of midfielders relative to his MLS counterparts. Right. So those are those are the four horsemen I've got. You got any any other must call ups before we run through a, sort of a grab bag here? I don't think so. No other no other sort of on the fence types. Everyone else I think is pretty set in stone. Yeah. Okay. In my mind. <laughs> Yeah, my, mine too. We don't need to go over that. We'll, we'll, we'll do a roster episode before the roster comes out, or at least talk about it in a little bit more detail. You know, I got to shout out you, Greg, for the for the Euro Troop weekend review. It was uh, it was a thing of beauty this week, and I think it's going to be it's quite a job putting that all together. And I appreciate it, and I know a lot of other people do too. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. We got we got so many guys to keep track of now, and there are a lot of people who do a good job tracking all these guys, uh, and. It's just, I feel like it's just good. I always like to just see them all in, in sort of one place. And yeah. it's definitely not, it's not exhaustive. If you haven't, if you don't know what we're talking about, it's just a list of, of a bunch of Americans who are playing in Europe. Uh, the list is not exhaustive. It's just sort of a subjective uh, breakdown of guys we think are still pretty uh, relevant to the U.S. player pool at the moment. And for this cycle, I guess I should say. Right. If you want to see the full list, go to go to our Twitter account or the patreon i posted on there patreon i don't know how to pronounce it patreon patreon <laughs> but it's it's on there um but a, a few highlights to pull from it um number one christian pulisic lost at old trafford 4-0 did not start the game you got any you got any quick takes on that i am not i don't really care that he didn't start and i don't really care that they got smoked 4-0 uh it's an american playing for chelsea like i'm, I'm totally fine with this he's uh, I'm going to give it a month before I start to pull any panic cords on yeah. Pulisic. Yeah, I'm not worried either. He's fine. It's fine. Um, Wes McKenney played 40 minutes, no, 35 minutes in a blowout win for Schalke in the DFB Pokal. Again, I think I'll just take this one. I don't think there's really anything to be taken from it. He got on the field. That's good. We'll see what, what happens with the Schalke lineup this weekend in the Bundesliga opener. Uh, not not for nothing, but McKenney came onto the field in the second half when the score was 1-0, uh, and then Schalke promptly dropped like five more in the next 30 minutes. Okay, do you know? Do you have a sense that he he did anything to to make I, that happen? I have no idea. That's just a it's just a fact about the uh, chronology of the game. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't able to watch it. It wasn't it wasn't broadcast anywhere no, that I could find, and I didn't try to didn't try to find it on any stream. So. Uh, just going through the timeline. Yeah, right. No, facts are facts. Um, <laughs> John Brooks uh, played also in the DFB Pokal, uh, ended up being a 5-3 win for Wolfsburg over Hallischer. I'm sure that's not how you pronounce it. <laughs> a lower division club in Germany. Um, gave up a lot of goals. I didn't watch that game, did you? 
I actually did have that one on, and Brooks basically had nothing to do. Uh, it was Wolfsburg completely dominated, and somehow it still went to extra time at 3-3. <laughs> uh, and then Wolfsburg promptly scored twice. Um, but it wasn't like, I mean, Brooks didn't make any real mistakes. It was just Hollister just hitting a couple of bangers to uh, really somehow miraculously stay in that game. Yeah. Well, good for them. Good for them. The magic of the cup, as they say. Uh, Adams, Holmes, and Yedlin are injured. I think that's all we need to say about them. They remain injured. Richie Ledesma made his Erste Divisi debut uh, on Monday, yesterday, and has another match on Friday. Uh, you watch that game. I watch that game. Do you have any? Do you have any takes you want to offer on it? Uh, no, he, when he, he, shortly after he came on, uh, PSV went down, young PSV went down a man. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that really, the first half looked really clean and fluid from PSV. And then in the second half after the red card, uh, they really struggled. They struggled to connect. There was just, you know, there's just fewer options to play to. So, uh, it very much changed what he could have done. So it was a suboptimal, uh, situation. The guy who he subbed in for at half, uh, Hatterin, is that how is that how you pronounce it, Bells? Can good, I get a definitive good, pronunciation, good guy? Good enough for me. Yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, he was he's on the uh, PSV grown up first team roster quite a bit, so we're kind of expecting him to be uh, gone this week for Europa duty plus league duty over the weekend. Uh, yeah, so the thought is Thursday and Sunday, right? And the P- yeah, the, young PSV game is on Friday. Right, so they'll. It seems like they'll have less flexibility to rely on any of those first team guys because they'll they don't know if they'll need them for these other games. So uh, the hope is that Ledesma starts for Young BSV uh, Friday, yeah. and gets to play with eleven men for a full game. Yeah, I think that would make a difference. Yeah, not his not his best game, uh, but like you said, it was a ten man Young PSV, and there was not a lot of attacking fluidity. Gloucester also, you know, maybe that bode, that fixture congestion bodes well for him making a, a young PSV debut on Friday. So, you know, tune your televisions to the young PSV station on Friday afternoon. Hey, you know, well, actually, one more thing on Ledesma. Uh, because they were playing down a man, Ledesma came on as, as the clear number 10, like they were playing a clear number 10 mm-hmm. uh, in their formation. Because of the red card, Ledesma dropped into like a holding mid roll and had to spend a ton of energy and effort uh, being part of a defensive block at times. So it was, I mean, in a way it was kind of good just to see him putting that work in and not, I mean, it's not like he was some traffic cone that got mm-hmm. uh, carved up time and again, like he, he for the most part held his own and they didn't concede uh, other than the free kick right after the red card. They didn't concede when they were at 10. Yeah. And he didn't have anything to do with that red card uh, or the attack that led to it. No, not in my mind. Okay. All right. Cool. Go on, Richie. Go on, Chris. <laughs> also, even in a lower a lower level, but very exciting, Ulianes got a brace and an assist against uh, uh, St. Pauli, I guess it was, for the Wolfsburg. Pa- yeah, St. Pauli's U19s, right? Right, for the Wolfsburg U19s. And all of both goals and the assist were lovely. He hit that from like 25 yards, curled it around the outstretched arms of the keeper. So I'm excited about I'm excited about Uli. Hopefully he comes out and scores 30 goals this fall for the Wolfsburg U19s and makes his debut by Christmas. We could see it, man. Bundesliga 19s is going to be the most exciting league for Americans to follow this right? fall. It's funny because uh, it's funny because the highlights come out on Mondays at 11 a.m. Central Time. Pretty much like clockwork. It's very German. 
and uh, <laughs> and then you can just go through and you 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 heard that Uli scored two goals, but you never know if they were just like a tap in after a scramble or or what. But it's it's like Christmas morning when you get to see that it was a twenty five yard banger. Yeah, stay, and staying in the U19s, we got to see uh, Gio Reyna uh, in his U19 debut with Dortmund uh, scored a goal in the first 60 seconds. Unbelievable. What a charmed life. <laughs> scored a goal in 60 seconds and then like two minutes later had an assist, uh, picked up another assist later in the later in the match. Uh, I wonder like the, if these two guys just run away and there's no telling uh, if they're going to maintain this this level of production, the sample size is small. Yeah. Um, but you know, we have, we have a couple of, I mean, we have some precedents to go by. We have Sebastian Soto who scored a bunch of goals in the, uh, United. So Soto was scoring for the 19s last year, right? Not that's, the, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So we have his, we sort of have his goal scoring record and you wonder what, what it'll look like if we have a couple of guys who just blow that out of the water. Yeah. I think it was like, I mean, don't quote me on this, but I think it was like 18 goals for Soto over the course of the season and um, maybe 12 in the first half of the season. And that got him some looks with the, uh, with the first team in the spring. I would be surprised if Uliana scores less than 12 goals, you know, same with Reina. Well, we'll get to see him every Monday at noon. Yep. Right. All right. Last thing uh, we should talk about, and it's less of a positive note, but uh, it turns out Jonathan Amon is injured at FC Norgeland. He's uh, his coach said that was the case, and it's not because he's being sold, and it's not because he's in a fight with the manager. He's just injured, <laughs> and that makes. I'm me... not. I'm not laughing. I'm not laughing because he's injured. That's obviously disappointing. It's frustrating. Yeah, no, you're laughing because of the fight with the manager thing, right? Yeah, yeah. But he, we had him in our our top forty last a couple weeks ago. Was that last week? Boy, it seems like a longer ago than that. And I think it's probably time to to take him out of the top 40 not because he doesn't have a future but he's been he's been injured for i think almost 40 percent of the matches that he could have played for uh, fc norgeland since he broke in with the first team last uh late in 2017 so it's just been a lot of injuries and a lot of little ones you know never like a really big one just one thing after another so just should mention that he's probably gonna yeah he's gonna the top 40 yeah, I think he'll sit on the scuff shelf next to Nick Tidegui and we'll we'll just keep hoping against hope that uh, advances in medical science put those guys back on the field. Right. Good players, exciting players, got to stay healthy. Anything else we should talk about, Greg? I don't think so, Bells. This is going to be our shortest podcast in months. <laughs> I'm sure everyone will appreciate it. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll see you.